A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, I'm Michael Chakraverty. And I'm Mark Watson. And welcome back to Menkind, where we chat to a range of brilliant guests about masculinity. Some of them are men, some of them aren't men, and some of them aren't particularly bothered either way. We are interested in men. Yes, obviously you are. And what makes them tick? Where does masculinity come from? How does it affect us? And how could we be better? We might not get a final answer, but we'll have a bloody good go at it. Won't we, Michael? Oh, we'll do our best. Uh, good day, everyone. I'm coming to the end of my time in Australia. And uh, once again, I speak to Michael um, across this enormous distance. How are you, my friend? I'm well, thank you. The, the sun is out, the sun is shining, and I might even go for a cheeky run today, which is very exciting. Um, should you say who you are? People might not know who you are. Oh, my name is Mark Watson. And uh, who are you? What's your thing? Uh, I'm, I think you did say my name. My name is Michael. Um, what's my thing? Oh, it's I'm nice not to sure say. I have one. I make, I make bread sometimes. That's maybe a thing. I think from having spent a bit of time with you, that's not your main thing these days. Um, anyway. <laughs> the, hi. Um, now, <laughs> obviously, all of these intros are, are being done uh, at a distance of some weeks and even months from the interviews. Um, but this is one we look back on with, I'd say, mixed feelings because the sound quality is a bit variable, but the quality of conversation is, well, this is one of the most unusual people in, in a good way. And we have met a lot of unique personalities on this podcast. It's one of the, been one of the privileges of it. But even in the uh, annals, I believe the phrase is, Michael, of this podcast, this is one of the most uh, distinctive personalities that I've ever brushed up against I think it's fair to say I've, I've never spoken to someone at length for, that was quite like this guy I do like how we um, draw out the anticipation for the guest uh, name to be revealed even though it is absolutely in the title and artwork indeed um, but yes we have Tom Reed Wilson <laughs> yeah who there's is very the... little suspense there's so little suspense <laughs> uh, he's he's absolutely brilliant um, it was plagued a little bit by technical difficulties so um, our lovely editors are doing a wonderful job to make it sound better I say editors Coop. it's mainly the lovely Coop <laughs> but uh, it's not the first time it, well, we know it's not the last because even since then we've done another one that was beset by technical difficulties but luckily Coop is uh, remarkable at this um, but yes the guest I mean you've just read out Tom Reed Wilson's Twitter bio and we think that is maybe the best way to set him up yes indeed it says chewer of fat occasional voice of radio and animated creatures and when you hear his voice tinny or complicated as it may sound you can definitely understand why he um, is used for animated creatures he is the most erudite human I think I've ever come across no offence to you Mark no no, I I, I regard myself as having a um, large vocabulary and being articulate is perhaps one of the things that I um, pique myself on. Anyway, yeah, th- this guy's on another level. It was like talking to a mixture of Stephen Fry and, in fact, no, Shakespeare. Uh, I don't think we need much more uh, of a build-up, probably. Let's bring him on. Yes, let's listen to Tom now. Enjoy. 
Well, here we are again. I continue to be Michael and Mark continues to be Mark. Slightly more fraught today, though. Uh, one or two technical problems, but regular listeners will know I have a very good relationship with stress and anxiety, so it wasn't really a worry for me. And uh, <laughs> yes, you're right, Michael, despite all of our ups and downs, we are still Mark and Michael. And as always, we have an excellent guest. Yes, we have the lovely Tom Reed Wilson. Hello. Hello. I'm going to endeavour to be a tonic and a panacea today. Oh, a panacea? A pana who? Panacea, Michael. A, a universal panacea. remedy, if you will. Yes, indeed. Michael's a big fan of rogue words like that. And that's a very early and strong card played by Tom. <laughs> well, I'd like to insert a polysyllable good and early. <laughs> well, you've done just that. You know, it just lubricates the frontal lobe, I think. It's like Nice to lubricate the lobe. You're quite right, Tom. <laughs> Sometimes we have to ask guests to do that, but you've done your own lubrication unprompted. <laughs> Aside from a panacea, how do you normally describe yourself, Tom? I suppose I'm best known for being the welcoming committee on Celebsco dating, but I'm also a thespian and a bit of a logophile and a sometime author. And occasionally... The voice of animated creatures. Well, what flavour of creature? Well, specifically, a halitotic lion in Hey Ducky. <laughs> he was a very grand halitotic lion. <laughs> and he was also, sadly, rather proud of his halitosis. And so they had a great job persuading him to brush his teeth. But when he was told that they might eventually fall out and he'd have to live on soup, he responded by saying, Soup can't possibly live on soup. <laughs> King of the jungle. Yes, I can see he was king of the jungle. Yes, there is something leonine about me, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, something sort of proud and poised, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I've been the voice of the rabbit in an innocent smoothies commercial, so it just falls to Michael to see whether we have a grand slam of people who have pretended to be animals. Oh, did we, Michael? I'm afraid not. No, but uh, what kind of animal could I be, do we think? What would I... Ooh. Has to be something quite nervous. Yeah. I think something smaller in the cat family. Oh, but a cat? I think rather a lovely little tomcat. Oh, yeah. that sounds quite nice. You certainly are cat-like, Michael. I think we're one of the tomcats that kind of gets abandoned young, but gets rehomed by an elderly lady who looks after them and feeds yes. them nice treats. Yes, a tomcat with pathos. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I see you as the sort of omnipresent neighbour's cat, the kind that kind of does that intrepid walking on the fence, you know? Yeah. Yes, and has three dinners in three kind neighbours' houses. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You just can't resist Nobody you. can turn him away. <laughs> <laughs> flap or no flap, you get in. Oh, now, Tom, here, I have to draw the line at the word flap. I really don't like it. Does it make you curdle? <laughs> it does. It makes my toes completely retract oh, upon themselves. Gosh. Oh, it's isn't it awful? Is it in the province <laughs> of linguistic ick for you, Michael? We you? were talking about icks earlier with me and Tom. Yeah, I don't like flap or clump clump oh i think that's a divine word that dances on the tympanic membrane and clunge isn't that awful well that is awful yeah anything ungy anything gungy oh but gunge is great you like gunge well not in practice thinking about the word i think it's got quite a lot of see i think the hard c of clunge compensates for the unge i'm still dwelling on tympanic membrane which uh... (laughs) (laughs) the only membrane one can talk about on a podcast oh we'll see we'll see won't we (laughs) we'll see what we get to in 40 minutes time i've had some (laughs) harrowing conversations with homosexuals via this thing (laughs) mark has learned a lot about the homosexual lifestyle over the past couple of years. I really have. I'm still learning. <laughs> Are you on the Van Rouge already, Mark? Yes, well, you say already, but we're recording this at almost half past six in the evening. And, uh... Well, yes, the sun is over the yardarm, isn't it? It is. You're quite right. What's a yardarm, please? A yardarm is an arm on a ship made of wood. Very old ships. And the sun would be directly over it at midday. And that's when sailors 
thought it was quaffed tide. So actually, it's well, well, well over the yardarm. <laughs> Normally, if somebody knows the phrase yardarm these days, they are either a skilled linguist or an alcoholic, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes both, Mark, in Could your case. Both. Could be both. <laughs> Shall we go to our first question? Oh, we haven't reached it yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're still talking. It's lovely, though. When do you remember your first brush with the concept of masculinity? And what do you remember that looking like? Gosh. Well, you know, my dad, heartening me, is a very gently masculine man. He's not uber butch and there's nothing forced about it. He is, I suppose, typically masculine, which is a word that I struggle with anyway, because I'm never quite sure what it means. But It's good, really, because we spend this whole of this podcast trying to work out what it means. Trying to dissect it, yes. That would be the end of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely talking to you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but there was nothing pushed about his masculinity at all. I mean, I think the tessiture of his voice and his movements, and I think he's sort of a graceful man, really, in speech and in movement. I'm glad that I didn't have to countenance a very kind of imposing masculinity, really. I suppose if we are wrestling with the word, I always think of it as one hue of gender, as just a hue of it. And gender is such an interesting word because gender is really the same word etymologically as genre and has always meant of infinite type and variety. And so I always think of masculinity really, certainly as an adult, as one little pocket or one little facet of that great panoply. In the same way that one genre of film is only a little pocket of the whole history of film. Exactly that. That's exactly how I feel. I'm very pleased with that etymological tie. And I must say, I've never thought that gender and genre were virtually the same word. Yes, that's really gorgeous. Yes, they are the same word, yeah. And then, of course, you know, before we went and <laughs> queered the pitch in places like India, they had the hedra, yes. which was a third gender who were revered, you know, mm. and... I feel a bit like a modern-day heater in a way. I feel as though I've sort of cherry-picked a little flavour of everything. I think it's quite fun, isn't it? The buffet of gender. You choose which bits you want and which bits you'd rather not. I'd love that, yes. <laughs> you know. And I'm nibbling on practically every morsel. <laughs> You're one of these people that one occasionally encounters at a hotel breakfast that wherever you go, they seem to be in front of you. They've got a bit of everything. <laughs> yes, I'm a gender glutton, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> It's quite interesting, this, Tom. Can you say a bit more about the way you feel you've toured the buffet? Yes. What have you taken from where, from which platters, would you say? And where did you find the platters as well? Do you know, it's a very, very interesting thing to try and dissect when, you know, you've just asked about childhood. And I suppose you do have to go back to the very beginning and try to dissect it that way. And the thing is that I had very, very early physical attractions to men. I mean, the first one I can remember, I was five. And yet I had absolutely no context for that whatsoever. Mm, of course. And so I think part of my contextualising that feeling was a kind of very strong empathy with female characters in films and plays and novels, I guess because they were in receipt of the male affection in the stories, traditional stories, obviously. So then as a result of that, I think I sort of absorbed a lot of the feminine in my behaviour before I was even conscious of it. And I only became conscious of it because, of course, my contemporaries and my school friends would remark upon it. And by then it was embedded and it had kind of tamped down into my very cells. And so I couldn't do anything about it. And then I started to celebrate it. And then I sort of thought, well, there are 
all elements of gender in me and, and I quite like the fact that I'm cloudy of gender and forever hovering over it and moving around it. And it was the most liberating notion because I think I have in a much more celebratory way ever since that sort of epiphany, which I, I suppose was in my very late teens. I think it's a lovely thought, actually. I never heard it articulated in that way, but relating to women. I've always wondered why, for example, when I grew up, I kind of spent most of my time being friends with women and surrounded by girls. But it is because their experience sort of matches that which you're sort of mapping out in your mind before you quite know you're mapping it. Yes, That's a really gorgeous way yes. of explaining that. But I think perhaps that we are the last generation, Michael, that won't have any context as mm. children. Yeah. I mean, I think now there are queer characters that young children are exposed to, and I think that's wonderful. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's quite a big shift, isn't it? It's a big, big shift. When I was a child, we hadn't even arrived at that sort of rather heinous debate of, is that going to impact the decision-making of the child if they're exposed to those characters we hadn't even reached that debate we didn't even have the characters yet didn't even have the characters no no, mm. no certainly not for children you seem quite self-assured now did you feel quite self-assured when you were younger it sounds like your dad was quite a similar influence on you in terms of how you were as a person and your qualities well what my dad did which was really amazing was he kind of opened my head through the prism of literature because he gave me in my teens as a sort of an invitation to come out, really. I think some Alan Hollinghurst novels, which are absolutely brilliant. And I mean, get very, very racy ah. in, <laughs> in the bedroom. The Swimming Pool Library, are you talking about? The that? Swimming Pool Library, exactly. And the Folding the Star. The Folding Star, yes. I read all of them. In fact, I read every book of his. I imagine in depth. I read two or three of them as a straight man. The Line of Beauty was one of the first times I'd seen uh, gay sex on the page quite as graphically as that. Do you know what? I don't think I ever have read gay sex on a page ever in my life. Oh, Michael. Well, if you want to read it, read Alan Honninghurst. Oh, no. Song of Achilles by Madeleine. Oh, Oh, yes. Song of Achilles, I read it in. Oh, God. That's the only place. Isn't that interesting? And, you know, Wilde was a great proponent of that, of looking into the queerness of the Greek myths, too. I mean, his favourite one was the story of Apollo and Hyacinthus. Do you know that story? It's such a beautiful story about how he and Zephyr were both competing for Hyacinthus, who was a mortal, for his affection. And Hyacinthus was only ever really interested in Apollo, who was a complete hunkatron. Of course. As the original text has it. <laughs> has it, exactly. Uh, and they were playing um, one of their Olympic games and Apollo threw the discus. And Zephyr, because he just couldn't get over them being so happy together, blew the discus off course and into the head of Hyacinthus, who died on the spot. And Apollo was so crestfallen, and Hades came up to get the body and take it to the underworld. And he said, please, 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 can I keep him? And he said, no, you know the rules. You can't possibly keep him. Mm. But I will give a drop of his blood, and it will be transformed forever into a flower. And the hyacinth is supposed to resemble Hyacinthus. Even the curl of the petal is supposed to resemble the curl of his hair which I just think is wildly romantic. Beautiful, isn't it? It's gorgeous. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Very interesting that there was this kind of, I suppose, cognitive dissonance for a long time where 
scholars like Wilde were, I mean, it was pretty obvious the homoerotic intent of many of these myths, but you could still go to prison for actually doing gay stuff at the yeah. exact same good, time. Though, even now on Twitter, when you see a picture of two men in a Greek painting or a Greek sculpture who are clearly engaging in sexual intercourse, and they're like, two brilliant friends. <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, oh, such great yes. mates. They really are. Yeah. It must have been especially odd then, because we were so, on average, more classically educated then. Mm. A yeah. time of the yeah. greatest average familiarity with the classics was also a time when any sort of homosexuality was punishable by imprisonment. So it's yes. mind-boggling to well, think yes. about that. And Wilde's trial was a case in point because yeah. he exhumed all of that literature and all of his studies of Shakespeare's sonnets, which he thought was an extended love letter to one man, to a man yeah. called Willie Hughes, who he didn't think was the third Earl of Pembroke or any of those other people that it's supposed to have been, but he thought it was a relatively impoverished young actor in Shakespeare's company. And the word hewing is used a lot in the sonnets, and he sort of got all of his evidence from the sonnets themselves. But even then, he was so frightened to published that piece of literary theory that he published it as a short story even though it was his belief i mean you'd have to convince people that two actors would be getting on backstage which seems impossible <laughs> to imagine it's beyond the pale <laughs> nearly inconceivable that thespians would behave like that i would have thought <laughs> what a naive fellow wild was it is such a shame though isn't it that we seem to have gone through if you look at the classical times when it seems to just be okay. You talk about India with the Hedra, like there were so many other facets of masculinity yes. and facets of being people. You know, it all, it really swung backwards, which I think is a reason why we must never be complacent. I think that's a really good point, Tom. People tend to talk as if there is a straight line from the Dark Ages to enlightened times, and people assume that there's just been a kind of one-way traffic between unenlightenment and where we are now. But as you yes. say, there have been an awful lot of swings back and forth. Yes, yeah. yes. The Romans and many of the civilizations at the same time had a healthier relationship with all kinds of things than we did 15 centuries on, which, again, warns you against complacency. I mean, dare I say it, look at a country like Russia. You know, Russia of kind of early mid-90s was a very different place yeah. if you were queer. Or... Yeah. By the way, I don't think we've ever discussed this idea of the third gender in India. Have we on the podcast? Can we, can um, we unfold that a bit more for people, including me, that don't know much about it? It's basically a third gender which was legally recognised and socially recognised and still uh -huh. is to a large extent of people who are sort of like a non-binary five, but it's not non-binary, it is different and it's embedded in the culture. They're paid to come in and do celebrations and to do weddings for people. And there's this weird sort of line between being revered in these kind of cultural settings, but also thrust onto the outside of society because obviously Britain came in and ruined everything. Would you, did you agree, Tom? Is that a brief yes, crazy there? Yes, <laughs> you've summed it up beautifully. But yes, they've sort of had a big hiatus and were almost drummed out of society yeah. completely in the days of empire and slowly, slowly, slowly have come back. And the context is slightly different now. Yeah, and the way they live is very different to how they used to live pre-Empire. <laughs> They're yes. still kind of recovering from that, I suppose. Yeah. I find it fascinating to think where these Western ideals of what you can and can't be and who you can and can't be and how you express yourself can and can't be, where they kind of erupt from. Because we've gone from this, we're talking about this kind of libertarian view of the world yes. and it's been closed down again but who closed it and how did that get closed well i think the worst time was the victorian age yeah i think everybody was so straight-jacketed in their garments in their perceived sexuality in in all of that i mean even if you look back to somebody who was very toxically masculine like henry the eighth still if you look at his wardrobe it's very very androgynous i mean the only thing that is in 
big inverted commas, masculine, are the slashes from war, which are so clean and crisp that they couldn't possibly have been from war. But, you know, everything else is bejeweled. And... Yeah, there's a limit to how toxically masculine you could be when you were wearing basically like a ruff and a dress, <laughs> a massive great wig. Yes. He is the poster boy for toxic masculinity, though, isn't he, Henry VIII, really? He is indeed, but isn't it curious? He did make his way through women killing some of them. But nonetheless, as you say, yeah. most of what was regarded as sort of quintessentially masculine in previous eras still look sort of ridiculous to us because masculinity doesn't stand up that well also it's interesting isn't yes. it you're right that victorian era is kind of a byword for buttoned up sexuality but even then it was mostly a pose wasn't it there was all sorts of stuff going on yeah, the porn that victoria and albert gave to each other was extraordinary yeah <laughs> <laughs> can't say I've seen it, to be honest. It's not as if these ideas weren't at play, but there was just perhaps more of a societal turning of mm. the back on them. But, I mean, they've never been able to stop people from being gay, I, I suppose is the shorthand. <laughs> no, well, no, 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 no. <laughs> How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So when you were growing up, Tom, you were comfortable in who you were. What was the reaction to that? Well, I was sort of a two-pronged fork in a way, because one prong <laughs> was very, very shy. I mean, I was, am very, very shy. Are you OK with the word prong, by the way, Michael, just before we go on? I quite like the word OK, prong. fine. I got a little thrill when you said that. <laughs> if it were prong, it would be a different thing. Oh, no, I don't like that. I could see you react, Michael. I just wanted to know whether it was a shiver of pleasure or uh, hostility. Was it a countenance of ick? <laughs> It was not the countenance of Vic. I just loved the way you said the word. Can you say it again, just quickly? Two-pronged four. Oh, lovely. Yeah, it is very pleasurable. Very nice, yes. (laughs) The other prong, I suppose, was not confident, but determined. I sort of thought, oh, well, I will only enjoy life if I live sort of filling my lineaments, you know, and really am able to live happily in my body, my soul, my being. So it was a sort of a grim determination to 
fulfill all of that, really, I suppose, because I had an intellectual notion of where I wanted to be and how I wanted to be and how I wanted to function. And it was just being brave enough to catch up with that, I think, in spite of discouragement. What did it take for you to actually follow that through? Part of it was accidental. Part of it was like, well, I can't really do anything else. Um, Right, yeah. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) And then I suppose... The rest happened piecemeal because little by little, I celebrated myself a little bit more. And then I did realise, I know it's a terrible cliche, but I suppose I began to realise that in celebrating my idiosyncrasies that other people were beginning to celebrate them too. And that was just the most wonderful epiphany, sort of emancipating epiphany. And where in your life were you then? I think I was in my late teens. It happened very, very slowly. It happened over the course of about three or four years. I mean, one could argue it's still happening a bit. (laughs) And this is a lot later. (laughs) I don't think you finish, do you? It takes a long time. No, you don't finish. I don't think anybody finishes. I think it's particularly true of anyone that feels somewhat marginalised, but I think it's true of everybody, really. Yes, the idea that one day you say, right, I am now me and it's a done deal is pretty simplistic, isn't it, given how complex the, the psyche is? Yes, exactly. It's scaling Kilimanjaro and strap on your crampons because it's a long old Oh, that's a nice word. <laughs> that I knew you'd like that. Crampon. <laughs> I'm having a lovely time. I'm actually just writing a list of words. <laughs> Are you? This isn't actually a podcast, Tom. This is just like a chance for me to learn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so thinking around your late teens times, were there any role models who were men around that time? Well, we've mentioned both of them, actually, uh, because Wilde was a big literary role model because mm. I devoured a picture of Dorian Gray and I, I must have read it oh, ten times in my teenage years. Yeah, I haven't read it since, actually. But It's a beautiful book. Oh, it's a wonderful book. It is one of those formative books as well, though, isn't it? It is a book that you might not revisit having been obsessed with it. I can really see that. Mm. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Sort of a gay man's 1984, if you will. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But I found it kind of witty and Mm. irreverent and and macabre and all the things that I still love. I mean, when I'm drawn to art, I am drawn to the witty, the irreverent and the macabre to this day. Mm. And I think that that was the beginning of that. And then the other one was my dad, who really gave me my love of language through the prism of literature, but also just in life. I mean... He would do wonderful things. For example, if we were walking down a high street and we passed a shop window, he'd hover in the window sway and he would say, oh, that's a lovely window display. Window, Vander Auger, the wind's eye. Nothing to do with glass, everything to do with ventilation. And then, you know, as a sproglet, you sort of look up and go, oh, oh. You know, you'd be fascinated. Yeah, I, I don't talk like that to my children very often. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could have made us very, very precocious, but I think instead what it did was it just made us want to ingest and subsequently digest everything that he said, and it all sort of went in by osmosis and mercifully has kind of stayed with me. And still, if I go and meet him, I mean, he lives in Dorset, I live in London, and we very often meet halfway at... Winchester, which uh, is probably a very poor geography. It's probably not halfway at all. But anyway, <laughs> roughly. It'll do. I reckon, yeah. <laughs> and we have a lunch and we wander about the town. And and the last time we met at the end, he said, well, this has been lovely, but brief, 
fleeting, ephemeral, short-lived. And he'll just stop and just sort of reel off synonyms. and just become a thesaurus for a bit. <laughs> yes, yes. And just enjoy masticating on them. And I think it's a very physical thing for him, as it is for me, just sort of chewing on words and going, oh, that tastes nice. Oh, let's try another one. That tastes mm. nice. What is his professional or, or was? Oh, I beg your pardon. I, I should have said he was an English teacher before he retired. He sounds like an English teacher. Yes. <laughs> Earlier, you said the word thesaurus. Mark, as listeners of the podcast might know, used to call it a thesaurus. What's your views on that as a <laughs> linguistic icon? Oh, I must tell you something about thesaurus because <laughs> I always thought if I had a drag act, I would be called polysyllabic. Oh, very nice. And I went to a party. <laughs> there's no one using that yet, polysyllabic. No, I don't think so. I don't know, but I think it's great. I feel as if I've seen every drag name possible <laughs> in the English language. <laughs> when I said this at the party, we were talking about drag for some reason, and one of the guests at the party said, oh, no, you can do better than that. You could be thesaurus. Oh. oh, that's very nice. <laughs> I thought that was absolutely That's very brilliant. pleasing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should take that on. I, I can picture you in drag. I should, shouldn't I? I think you'd be very good. You mentioned about this kind of innate femininity, that's a hard word to say, mm. when you were younger. I know there's been a lot on the gay scene in terms of dating and finding people where there's a lot of feeling against femininity and what they call camp. Have you encountered that at all? Yes, but you see, I think that if you occupy a very little puddle and you're happy within that puddle, then you don't mind that you're not in other puddles. Forgive that very, very foolish analogy, but, you know, you, you <laughs> might have a lake next door to the puddle that is mm. teeming with gay hunkatrons. There's that word, which I think I coined <laughs> again. I think it came from the ancient Greek hunkatron, actually. New translation. <laughs> <laughs> Having a wonderful time with their testosterone emissions. And then I'm in a much smaller puddle next door. But it doesn't mean that you know, there aren't other droplets that aren't happy with me. You just have to, again, you have to be celebratory of that fact. Mm. And then it's fine, you know. There's a lovely way of your thinking where there may be a negative. You kind of go, well, I, here's what I can control. <laughs> here's what I'm interested in. Yes. And I wish I could think more like that. <laughs> I'm like, I want to be in the lake. I find myself jumping yes. from the puddle to the lake and being hit back from the lake, being sent back to the puddle, whereas you seem quite happy in the puddle. <laughs> yeah, self-acceptance is a very common motif of these conversations, isn't it? But it does seem as if you got the, yes. you got the hang of yes. it quite quickly, Tom, or at least you got some of the way there quite quickly. I think the character was so sort of irreversibly formed that I had to get there quickly, I suppose, because I was happy with the character by and large. You're lucky. I think many of us spent a long time trying yeah. to fix it. <laughs> oh, I mean, I've got stonking foibles. I mean, I've got all kinds of chinks, but... Go on, give us a couple. Just give so us a feel stonking better. foible. <laughs> Put your money where your mouth is. Well, <laughs> I think my version of my dad's sort of etymological pauses, they're A, more frequent, and B, far less diverting to my audience. I think they are very, very... Awesome. <laughs> like picking up a fork at breakfast time and listing all the things that has been previously known as. Oh, yes. How many tines have that got? Tine. Yes, it just very irritating. It's a prong, I thought it was, not a tine, a prong. <laughs> a prong is a tine and a tine is a prong. <laughs> that sounds like you're about to do a sort of Edward Lear poem or something. I know, doesn't it? <laughs> Set the table to the chair. You must hardly be aware how I suffer from the heat and the chillblains on my feet. Do you know that one? Exactly. If we took a little walk, we might have a little talk. 
Pray let us take the air, said the table to the chair. So you see yourself in the most negative light as a sort of irritating cover version of your dad's hit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the tribute band. That's it. That's it. A poor man's version of, yes, I'm sided <laughs> to his champagne. It's nice to have a role model so not just strong, but so lovable and gentle that you are happy to go along as a kind of slightly watered-down version of him, even in your own mind. <laughs> <laughs> and now do you have any other male role models that you look up to now? Oh, gosh, that's very hard. You know, it's a terrible thing to say, but most of my heroes are women. No, it's not. It's a, <laughs> probably an enlightened thing to say. I can't think of it. I mean, there are, of course, so many actors and writers who I think are ineffably brilliant but yes, I, I find myself to this day more drawn to women in art, I think. Why do you think that is? I shall give an example. When Julie Andrews was gender bending in Victor Victoria, she said the most useful rule for her was to be still because she said the key difference between the men on set that she was observing and herself was that she tended to be a little bit more busy and they tended to be very, very still. And... I think in femininity, there is something behaviorally that lends itself to art. There's a kind of bigness that doesn't sacrifice the truth because it's sort of the truth is inbuilt into the behavior of it anyway. There's not so um, much need for demonstration, perhaps. And... No, there's not. And I think that because of the stillness of classic masculinity, it can be somewhat restrictive, I think. So I think... Within the context of art, I find the feminine a little bit more interesting to watch because it is less still and not at the expense of truth. Mm. Of course, that is a huge sweeping statement and I only mean about half of it. Very interesting. Oh, <laughs> fair enough. Well, it's better than not meaning a single thing you say. <laughs> I mean, it is one of those remarks and I find it very difficult when talking about masculinity because... You have to sort of be crude and reductive when talking about it, which is why I only half believe what I just said. But if I'm being as reductive as I possibly can be, then I suppose that's why. And that's all we ask of you. <laughs> yeah, it sort of is. I think we've found it a lot in this podcast, haven't we, Michael? It does begin yeah. to feel reductive as soon as you start making any sort of large statements about how men behave or how women behave or how anyone behaves, really. But nonetheless, yes. that's what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> but in a way, that in and of itself is a brilliant precept because you know it's a kind of a constant tug of war with your own statements you know which is very healthy yes. thing i think it's good to interrogate what you think and when you say it out loud yeah. you think oh do i still think that <laughs> yeah if yes. you believed 100 yes. that everything you said was true you, well there are lots of people like that a lot of them are men and they're mostly insufferable so yeah <laughs> and they're mostly on twitter oh, and, it's and they're normally wrong about quite a lot of stuff. <laughs> well i mean the awful thing about twitter really is that it's gobbit after gobbit isn't it you know and i think that the beauty of art the beauty of gender the beauty of everything lies in nuance and there is no room for nuance in a bulletin culture and i think that is probably apart from the obvious the greatest sadness of our age is that we are quite reductive and we are drawn to bulletins more than to articles and we don't have the patience sometimes to examine nuance. Why, apart from the obvious, do you mean the looming threat that the world's going to end at the time of recording? Well, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Bulletin culture is a lovely way of putting it. <laughs> so it came into my mind when you were talking about, well, the, when you've been talking for the last 30 minutes, it's a question that I asked Joe Black, who is a drag artist, 
do you feel like a man? And I think the same question might be interesting for you. <laughs> well, the only answer I can give really is that when I'm described as a man, I do sort of curdle a bit. I mean, do you? I think I've only been described as a man once. I was working in a changing room at H&M and I was very young then. And I sort of, if I regarded myself as anything, it was probably a boy. And a mother said to her child, Oh, darling, you're finished with that now. We don't want it. Give it to the man. And I sort of looked over my shoulder and I thought, who's she talking about? Oh, it's me. <laughs> yeah, I think even if you are um, sort of a standard straight fellow like me, you do still, yes. moments like that is very peculiar to stand aside. I had somebody say to her toddler recently, get out the way of the gentleman. And I thought, I'm the gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> that can't be right, can it? <laughs> Which bit did you object to? The gentleness or the... <laughs> I think I was actually quite flattered by the whole concoction, but I was just very... Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was very surprised to find that at some point I'd gone from the person that gets told to get out of the way of the man to the man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. It's quite interesting there that you had a such a physical reaction to being called a man. Yeah. And I think the whole conversation here, we've kind of explained that there isn't really a way of being one and that different people have seen being men in different ways, which makes our last question quite hard. But we're going to ask it anyway. Yes. If you were to be building a man, what three qualities would you build into them, do you think, for them to kind of be a successful person in this world we live in? Oh, I suppose they would be the three qualities that I would insist upon in building a person. Mm. I would make them an altruist, because I think apart from it being a, the most wonderful thing you can be, it's very good for one's mental health too to have an outward focus. Then I suppose it's not pure altruism because there's <laughs> a benefit, but there is a benefit in having an outward focus and a philanthropic focus. Mm. It's very difficult to be altruistic without any sort of benefits to one's philosophically. It yes. doesn't mean that yes. it's not worth doing. Yes. Well, some philosophers have said it is in fact impossible, haven't they? Yes. And that doesn't mean that it's of any less value, does it? You know, no. it's, it's going to still be better to be good to people than not. Quite. And I would make them a feeler muse. Which means... Did you see the blank face over here? Because <laughs> it, It's a this few... is the first occurrence on the podcast of this answer. <laughs> it really means a lover of all the arts. Because of the muses, there was the muse of tragedy and comedy and sacred poetry and racy poetry and everything. So it's somebody that appreciates all the arts because I think that the arts are humanity at its very best. You know, where the artist is contributing something and the recipient of the art is contributing something and interpretation is sort of hovering between the two things and I think that is such a powerful sort of metaphor for how humanity can work at its best where two forces are coming, benevolent forces and the product is made in the middle and I think that's really how humanity should be so any person that I made would have to have that sort of artistic bent, I think. Artistic bent in many senses of the term. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. <laughs> Please don't sour that lovely final note. Sorry. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Tom, that was gorgeous. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Oh, it was a great pleasure. You're wonderful. Where can people find you? If you want them to, obviously. Not in terms of your postcode. Uh, unless you want to give that away as well. Oh, your gosh. Well, I have a podcast of my own called Tom Reed Wilson has words with, which I think is on all the platforms, as the kids say. 
<laughs> and <laughs> and I'm occasionally to be seen on the television. And I'm making a film with Snoop Dogg. Oh, hang on. So eventually that will be coming out. You left that quite late in the discussion. (laughs) I did. I did. Well, I haven't got very much to say about it because I haven't yet done it. I thought Snoop Dogg changed his name to Snoop Lion, didn't he? Did he? Oh, I say. He certainly did at one point, but he may have gone back. Back to the Leonine. We've come full circle. How perfect. Thanks, Snoop. I'll let you know what to call him when you next see him. Yeah. His dog, I think, has a double G. Yes, that's right. Oh, no, sorry, I thought you meant his actual canine. Oh, no, no. no. He spells it with two Gs, yeah. Yes. We'd probably best end this here. Uh, thank you so much, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you soon. Thank you so much, and bonsoir. Bonsoir to you too, Tom. <laughs> Bye, darlings. Well, as promised, that was Tom Reed Wilson. Um, wonderful, wonderful linguist. I'm, I'm assuming everybody has been Googling at least three or four of the words that they used um, during that episode. Um, I understood. Yeah, I have my phone in my lap and I don't normally have to do that. <laughs> I, I've been thinking about the phrase tympanic membranes for quite a long time since that conversation. Just brilliant, just brilliant. There were things he came out with which will stay with us for some time. <laughs> so we hope you enjoyed it and... Um, as ever, you can follow us on our social medias at Menkind Podcast um, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, I think. And then you can email us at menkindpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and we'd love to hear where you're listening to us from. It's funny, we don't even know whether we do have a Facebook thing or not, really. I feel like Facebook's kind of, I don't know, I was about to say it's for the middle-aged, but I would I would probably lump you in that category. Yeah, and I haven't been on Facebook for years. You, <laughs> yeah, until recently, I thought Facebook was still... You know the kids, but no, you're absolutely right. It's your it's your uncle and his brother sending memes round to each other these yeah, days. Yeah, it's basically it's it's Facebook Marketplace adjacent, isn't it? Really, that social media site now. I do miss Bebo and MySpace though. Where are the kids, Michael? Some of them are still on Twitter, right? Uh, Twitter still seems to be working. I mean, because I-, I think Twitter's more Twitter's more aging millennials. I think TikTok maybe where it's at, and we don't have one of those yet, do we? Nah, and I don't think we're gonna. I'm I'm fine with aging millennials being my audience, quite honestly. <laughs> aging millennials and people's mums. And where can the where can the aging millennials and people's mums find you in the next couple of weeks, Mark? Well, as usual, the best way to find me is just to look on my uh, Twitter. I I'm in Sydney for two shows next week but by the, I mean it's this week by the time you hear it and, and pretty soon I'll be back at home in the United Kingdom and I've got another I think it's about 60 tour shows so we'll, we'll probably um, we'll mention those in future probably cross paths um, we've got do we have a couple of new patrons we do don't we we do we have the lovely hair um, as in not not a rabbit um, the long ears they, they've got longer ears than rabbits I think have they, they? I, I don't really know hairs? I don't tell much so. about I that very much I don't know much about hairs, but I think that's their thing. And we also have the lovely V, um, as in for Vendetta, but I'm assuming that they don't have one of those. But thank you for joining us on Pen- on Patreon. And if you'd like to join us as well, we have lots of fun content out there. Yeah, and hair, thank you for all your lovely tweets about Mankind as well, which I, have, I will share with Michael, because I, as you know, I follow you now, and that is a potentially intimidating situation for both of us, but here we are. <laughs> I look forward to seeing them. Sorry, my Twitter's been absorbed by grieving Little Mix, and also an argument about people who put butter on Weetabix, but that's probably a topic for a later conversation. I've seen you argue about much worse stuff than that on Twitter. I'm relieved it's just that this week. <laughs> and thank you for everyone's thoughts and prayers. Little Mix was excellent, and I have relapsed, and we'll be seeing them again in Manchester, so we can talk about that again later. We will be discussing it. We absolutely will be discussing it when that happens. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I hope you enjoyed it see you next time see you next time oh yeah bye